think the vacuuming stopped. That's a good sign. I'll try to remember oh. to mute my nose blowing then during the program. Forgot to do my uh, mouth limbering exercises. I mean, that's a year's worth of actor training wasted. Okay, let's try again. Boom. Okay, welcome back everyone to Tokyo Jazz Joints podcast. This is episode 10. It's official. We're into double figures. We've survived uh, and we're hopefully going to continue to thrive for many weeks and months to come. We've got lots and lots of content to come and we're really excited to share more of the stories about the project with you. James, you sent me a message yesterday, last night, uh, saying that by the time that we had scheduled to record, you would be trashy. Are you trashy? I am classy, not trashy. Uh, the weather's warmed up a little bit here in the Tokyo metropolitan area, so I've had to switch up my beverage for this evening, Philip. Uh, we're going with a, a crystal clear Finlandia vodka and ginger ale. Celebrate the oncoming summer stuck at home. The the curses of predictive text, eh? Um, yeah, well, it's good. it's good. I'm sure there's probably one or two listeners there that like to get the exact specifications of what your drink is each week. So maybe we'll keep that going as a regular part of the podcast. Got to have your um, bits to be a, a popular show, my friend, you know? <laughs> so this week we are not in Tokyo. We've kind of moved south and we're going to start in Yokosuka, which is... Um, maybe an hour, an hour and a half south of Tokyo, depending on what train you take. It's by the port uh, and an interesting place. Uh, I was doing a little bit of homework there in Yokosuka. I've been there a few times, of course, but um, um, interesting to, to see that actually since World War II, in fact, it was actually bombed, apparently, um, not long after Pearl Harbor as retaliation. Um, but um, after World War II became very much established as a port city and obviously huge uh, American naval presence there, which actually, for those of you who've been to Japan, will probably know that it, it, it continues today. And so a large part of the economy, perhaps in Yokosuka, or certainly a, a, a major part of it anyway, is uh, the base uh, and all the activity that goes around that base. And so as a result, you know, there are, uh, there's probably a more significantly uh, higher number of, of Americans uh, and in foreign population in general. And that kind of gives it quite an interesting atmosphere compared to maybe other cities in Japan, wouldn't you say? Yeah, definitely. And you notice it as soon as you get off um, off the main train station. Um, obviously, the, the gigantic uh, cruiser ships for the U.S. Navy. But also, you hear English um, pretty much everywhere, and not just from all the Americans, but um, the Japanese who live there and grew up in the area. Often, as you said, you know, the economy is very much tied into to the naval base. So, um, Yokosuka is one of the few places in Japan where you can pretty much uh, be guaranteed that you're going to be able to speak English with people in shops, restaurants, bars, etc. So it does have a very, very different feel. And, you know, that certainly applies to to the bars that we went to um, for a number of different reasons. Um, I remember, though, you know, as we, you know, I had been down to, to Yokosuka a few times before, but it had been quite a few years. And I forgot that there were a real large number of country and Western and then sort of hmm. R&B hip hop, uh, you know, joints along the main drag, obviously catering right, to yeah. those, those two yeah. demographics of the U.S. military, you know, country music did and you hip hop. Ever, 
Did you ever get onto the base? Have you ever been on the base? No. I was on it a couple of times, actually, uh, interestingly. I, I was friends with a guy a lo- long time back, um, when, not long after I'd come to Japan, I was involved in an art group there. Uh, and he was an artist that was traveling, basically, with his wife. She was in the Navy, and uh, he just sort of followed her around. And uh, I went on the base a couple of times to visit him. Very interesting place because, you know, you can live on base if you wish. Um, and then if you want, you can also live off base. So, you know, depending on sort of what your outlook in the world is you know some people who are stationed there will choose to sort of live within the the host community in Japan and some people will choose to stay on the base and obviously you can come and go fairly freely but um, I remember him telling me you know there are a lot of families and and particularly maybe spouses and and children that go and just live on that base and literally you know never leave that base and you know you you can look across the fences um, you know at at Japan on the other side so to speak but uh, they they literally never leave and uh, you know kind of a strange world I mean you go on that base you go into supermarkets it's, it's like being in an American supermarket you know they have cinemas and bowling alleys and all sorts of facilities that you'd expect to find in America and you know if, if you close your eyes at, at what's beyond the fence you, you could literally be in a sort of a, an American suburban um, apartment complex sometimes it's interesting that's ex- place that's exactly it's, that's a perfect description because it exactly looks like that as well when just when you're going by you know um, and, and it's funny too because all of the the sort of you know shops and eateries surrounding the big bases here in Japan or anywhere else where there are a lot of American bases, they always have that similar vibe no matter what the language. Um, you know, you've got your your cheap beer joints uh, with, with a jukebox playing, as we said, country music or hip-hop, um, your tattoo parlors, your hamburger shops. You know, it's it's pretty... Well, that's, uh, hey, it's it's America, you know? What are you going to say? Well, talking of eateries, and I bet you don't remember this, I was scrolling through my, my phone again on uh, looking for photos in Yokosuka because obviously all the photographs we take of the joints um, are on the, the project site, but I tend to take some photos with my camera on my phone as well, and um, some of them are not up there, but do you remember when we got off the station, I think we were quite hungry, and we happened on that uh, Indian restaurant where... We sort of sat outside on like kind of garden furniture in a very sterile kind of concrete uh, concourse in front of the station and, and had a couple of curries before I, we got I completely started. remember that because yeah, you could you could see one of you could see a couple of the gigantic ships like right in front of you, That's uh, right. you know, yeah, on the yeah, water yeah. and it was it was just such a strange thing because yeah I completely remember that you know here we are going to find some you know as usual going to find some jazz joints and we're looking at these gigantic you know US Navy ships um, and and having this this Nepali couple uh, speak to us in Japanese and cooking us up some, you know, some non bread. And it just felt like one of those, like, wow, you know, maybe Japan's a little more international than we give it credit for, you know? Exactly. Yeah. So we kind of started that day with the cabin. I, I can't remember if we were heading for it or we happened on it, but a lot of your coast girl, you know, it looks quite planned out, fairly wide streets, a lot of very uh, sort of cookie cutter apartment blocks and so on. And we remember walking up a long road to get to this place and we found this cabin. But unfortunately, um, it, it claims to be the best lunch in this town on, on the sign. You can see that on the website. Unfortunately, there's only one photograph of it because we weren't able to get into it. And we did a little bit of research uh, and a little bit of, of asking people around the area and uh, it, it didn't seem to be open um, there's a sort of a clue that gives away the location there because there seems to be like what what looks like an anchor tied <laughs> to the vending machine I'm not sure 
if that's to facilitate the vending machine going to C or whether it's just a prop. But uh, either way, we never got past the the sign of cabin, jazz cabin, it's called. And uh, uh, but, we, you know we what will... was what was interesting was that it, you know if you look at the awning of it, you know, I mean, it it looks like that awning was fairly new, and yet yeah. the place, you know, everything on, on on the web and whatnot indicated that it, that it had closed down, but we couldn't find any other information about that, and. I think just just from the that sign alone, the best lunch in town. I mean, you, you you can imagine that it was probably aiming to be one of these old time American sort of like you know dinner show type places. I don't know, I'm thinking like the, the old Copacabana in New York City or something like that. You know, the kind of Japanese joints that would have opened after the war to cater to a new audience. Um, so I God, I would have loved to have gone in there, especially to see. I mean, you know, the anchor, and then you can see on the on the uh, on the right side that the uh, the ship's steering wheel you know yeah 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 uh, i'm sure that's not what it's called that's that's that military terminology letting us down again is it called a steering wheel <laughs> it's got it's got to have a better name than that ship steering wheel any any sailors if there's any sailors listening if you could just uh text us or messages online uh, let us know what what is a ship steering wheel called so <laughs> we we moved on from the the cabin uh, to the first place that we got into i was looking for this place last night i've done the audit of the site many times and i was looking for this place last night and I actually realized that although the page existed it wasn't actually on the website so it's up there now um and it was called blue and green and you know it's got very interesting again it's inside a it's inside an apartment block type complex with other bars and cafes inside at one of those places very characteristic of japan and it has this kind of very like 80s looking um silhouette of new york including the twin towers on the outside wall which you can see in one of the photographs it always reminds me of that um you know the rhapsody in blue cartoon where they're, where they're sort of where the outlines being drawn you yes know, as, yes as the music plays and uh, interesting place this one yeah, I, I I was really um you know it it kind of suits exactly what we were talking about the the vibe in Yokosuka because it's a, okay it's a jazz bar with live music but as you can see from the pictures and from the second we walked in I was like oh yeah this is an american place you know so you've got all the guitars on the wall um, and especially, you know, the, the, the sort of neon light beer signs. Um, I think yeah. you can see there's, you know, there's a Miller sign. They don't even sell Miller in Japan, you know? So somebody must have just like, <laughs> some sort of, some soldier must have just brought it by, uh, you know, Heineken, um, all the Jim Beam, um, and then, you know, the brick walls. Um, and then you've got the, you know, the instruments sort of just there in the corner for when people come to play, like on a Friday night. I mean, I've been into, you know, a hundred different bars like this in the U.S. before. You know, in years past, yeah. and it and it didn't didn't necessarily feel like a jazz bar, despite the name and the sort of you know the sign outside. Um, but sure enough, they were playing some some groovy tunes while we were in there. And I remember we talked to the guy, and he said that, oh yeah, yeah, you know, I mean, uh, we've got guys coming down from the naval base pretty much every weekend to jam. You know, that's right. Yeah, um, yeah. I think members of the um, some listeners might know this, but but all the the armed forces in in the U.S. they always have. Um, 
sort of like sponsored bands. Um, so when you're in the, in the military, if you've been drafted in the past, like that could be like what you do while you're in there. They actually play music. So those guys would come out and um, and, and jam in bars like these. Um, going way, way back, I mean, John Coltrane was in the Naval Jazz Band in the 1940s, for example. Yeah. You know? So these kind of bars probably, you know, um, exist anywhere there is a U.S. military base around the world. And, and so when I went in there, I immediately felt like, yeah, okay, I know this vibe very, very well. It's funny because the the signs to me, you know, the the particularly the jazz on the white wall outside with the with the New York silhouette, you know, it, it's got a very sort of eighties feel to it. But uh, when I look at the photographs of the the drum kit and amps and things like that as well, uh, and the wall and floor just covered with those carpets, to me, it, it's got much more of a. It looks like something you'd see like. Uh, on a Cream album cover, you know, like the three of them sat jamming in the late '60s. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's a bit psychedelic. Yeah, it's yeah, a bit yeah. too many patterns and colors. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah, it, you know, very much like a living place. I think you know, uh, clearly still has a lot of customers, uh, caters for them accordingly, and you know, again, that that element of live music and, and being somewhere that musicians can go and jam. Yeah, uh, gives yeah. It that and kind I, of life I you know, I had uh, I used to have a Japanese friend who was from Yokosuka and a, a, a guy who really loved jazz as well. You know, and he he had I don't remember if he had mentioned this place or whatever, but he used to say that oh, you know, there's two or three places you know where you can catch some live jazz on the weekends in Yokosuka, but there's you know 50 places where you can hear live rock. You know, obviously, yeah. Um, yeah. But but it definitely yeah, it definitely had that feel of a place that was successful because you know we've been in a lot of bars that you can feel are sort of down and out on their last legs and this one felt like a place where he he's he's definitely packing them in um you know most weekend nights yeah so we we had a couple of drinks there i think um if i remember there there wasn't anyone else it was just the two of us at the time so uh, you know to people that are not familiar with the podcast generally what we tend to do is we we aim to get to a lot of places particularly if we've traveled um, not long after they open, because you can fairly much guarantee, you know, especially especially bars, that there won't be any customers there for the first hour, first hour and a half. So, again, for, for me, photographing the places, it gives me an opportunity to kind of uh, roam around a little bit more and get more uh, without sort of customers being in the way or having to kind of uh, inconvenience anyone in that in that sense. But... I can't remember how far it was, but we, we stumbled around the corner to the next place, which is uh, Standard Bar, Kent, um, apparently. Uh, and uh, obviously home of the the world's best love imported wine, Reunite, which I'm sure anyone who's listening will be very familiar with. Very familiar with if you were a fan of cheap wine in the 1970s in America, <laughs> which uh, I can't say that I was because I was just a little child then, but doing yeah, a little likewise. research, uh, apparently mm -hmm. uh, that was their slogan. And, and you can clearly see from the font and the color of that sign that it could only be from the 1970s. So um, yet another example of, of probably a gift that came from some, from some sailor uh, who used to drink in the bar um but didn't you notice you know when we went from blue and green straight over to this place kent which is down uh, some steep steps um you know uh, on a on a main street it, it certainly felt like this place was much more of a japanese sort of local bar rather than a place yeah. where where any of the u.s sailors would go well, even the even the sign, you know, if you look at the the sign on the outside, even the fact that there's kanji on the sign, you know, again, just 
suggests maybe that uh, to a certain extent. It's funny though, having said that, you know, when you look at the photograph with the the, the reunite sign, again, just in the background there, you can see uh, these kind of uh, US military style caps all hung up. So, you know, again, just always evidence in anywhere you go around that area mm-hmm. of the, the pr- presence of the US um armed forces there but again there's no one in here at this at this point in time and um, i remember someone coming in um i think we mentioned this in a previous podcast i remember someone coming in much to my disappointment because i was planning to take that photograph of the table with the ashtray and i'm fairly sure that i took that just uh, as they were in the toilet i think we talked about that previously but yes yes uh, so that's, you know, one of those ones you had to really snap it quickly. So there, w- there was actually another customer in there, but again, very mellow place. And um, I think the owner is the piano player that's featured on that sort of printed out poster on the toilet door. Yeah, I, I think it is because he, he said that he performed there as well, like over the years, but not necessarily recently. The piano looked like it was covered up and I don't know how much um, live music they were doing there anymore. Um, but it, it was still, you know, we got there fairly early, I think probably around, uh, eight o'clock uh, yeah. on a weekend and it was, you know, only one customer had come in. So they were certainly still functioning as a bar, but I think the live music probably would have been few and far between. So we finished off that night with, um, the, the blue note. And oh, not- sorry. Wait, we forgot something very important, which, which unfortunately we don't have a picture up on the site. So I'm breaking uh, protocol here, but do you oh, remember controversial. In, the, in the stairwell of, uh, oh, Kent. hang on. I know what you're going to say. <laughs> I know what you're going to say. Hang on. Hang on. Let me read it word for word. I'm Excellent. pretty sure. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, I was wondering what this was and I was going to ask you actually. So I'm glad you brought it up. So I'll put this on our social media when the when the episode goes live. But as you come out past this sign where it says Kent Standard Bar, there's a table covered with a, a piece of red sort of terry toweling cloth, and on it there's a handwritten sign in English entirely that says "Warning!" exclamation mark, electronic surveillance exclamation mark. Don't pee here. Double double exclamation mark. We will notice. We will notify SP. And JP, and then it's signed very politely by the Japanese police. Uh, so yeah, obviously there was a, a some sort of epidemic of people peeing in that on that table in that particular corner. I'm not really I sure mean, why, was, because there's it, toilets everywhere in Japan. I don't know why you'd be peeing in that corner. But well, also, I mean, you know, if you're at the if you've just left the bar, you just have to go back into the bathroom there. So I'm assuming people because it was quite down down the steps, uh, but on a main street. I'm guessing people used it uh, when they, you know, couldn't couldn't make it to the convenience store. Uh, not that we would ever do such a thing like that, but definitely, you know, there, definitely there, not. There are such drinkers in the world, and so, uh, but yeah, I, I love the fact that they referenced, you know, both the local police and the military police. So, so <laughs> this SP and JP, that's what's it? Wonder what SP stands for then. SP, it's usually MP when they talk about you know yeah. the, the, the base police. So, but but I mean the fact that it was in English, clearly they had to assume that you know only a, only an American would would take a piss outside. No drunken Japanese would ever do such a thing, right? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, just again, further proof that you know J- J- Japan as a society is uh, pretty tough on crime. You know. <laughs> anyway, so um, moving on from there, we we went around the corner again closer to the station this time i think um to the gorgeous blue note and not the blue note of lore um either in in new york or in tokyo but um strange choice of a name really again you know one of those things where 
there, I don't know, I suppose that you think if you were going to name some, you would go for something a bit more original. But um, at the end of the day, you know, a lot of the places are set up as a sort of a homage or like a, a dedication to famous musicians or places. And so there doesn't seem to be any issue with this kind of plagiarism or copyright or anything. It's just, well, you know. Well, I think that, um, you know, and you, you, you got a photo of it, uh, the sign that, that shows, you know, since 1979, which, which, predates, yeah. which predates the opening of the Blue Note Club in total. Tokyo. So Fair point. I mm. would think that they're not aware of this, especially the fact that, you know, if you look at the, the, the menu and then the other side, she, you know, the owners are clearly, uh, you know, copying the font there. Um, but, you know, actually, I've run into this um, elsewhere. Um, when I was visiting Taiwan a few years ago, I went to one of the few jazz cafes in Taipei City is called a Blue Note. And um, he doesn't even try to hide it. He, the entire sign is just the Blue Note logo. So I, when okay. I when when I asked him about it, he said, "Oh yeah, you know, he got a visit from from the Blue Note company once they had established in Asia, and they weren't angry or anything because he had opened years before, you know, and he had the copyright, and they offered to uh, they offered to buy him out." And he said, no. He said, look, I'm happy running a cafe. I'm, you know, I've got the copyright. I'm going to keep it, you know. Um, so enough, yeah. I think I think at this tiny little blue note here in Yokosuka. Now, I remember the um, the owner was quite an old lady. Uh, seemed to yes. be a li little bit hard of hearing, um, especially considering the volume that the music was at in such a small room. Um, but, you know, you could kind of easily take a leap of uh, logic there and think that when she opened it up, as you said, you know, it was just, well, I, I'm a Blue Note collector, so I'm going to name my little cafe in, in this port town in Japan after it with no thought of things like, you know, copyrights or patents or anything like that. Um, and, and this was actually, I think, the second location, too, um, the first one was a little bit further down the road. It was much bigger, but that building had been torn down. And this one, I think she had been in for only about 15 years or so. You can see it doesn't look quite as rustic as you would imagine a, a 40-year-old building um, in that area. Um, but I remember it being, the, the, the sound quality was good. It was really loud for such a small room. There's only about room for eight or nine people to sit in there. And the seats were really close together. Um, yeah, it was tiny, wasn't it? And, but it, it, even then, you know, tiny little place but you can see even just from and there were a couple of other customers there which is why maybe there's only one photograph of the interior but also because it was so small but even then you know great selection of drinks a big selection of vinyl up there at the back uh, and just like a really nice place to go in and sit have a couple of drinks and that menu too i mean how much do you want that menu gorgeous gorgeous i remember philip i think you had uh you had to split that night early after we left the blue note because i i stuck around a little while and um this was a little bit farther away from the sort of you know drinking area where where the americans would go this was closer to the to the main station so behind the blue note was a maze of alleyways with uh, really old uh, showa in in japanese showa is the sort of post-war period so imagine like a maze of alleyways of drinking dens and Filipino karaoke pubs. Um, I mean, at least about a hundred of them on these tiny, tiny little alleyways there. There weren't any other jazz bars. I walked down every single street looking for another jazz bar just to see in case we missed one, but luckily we didn't. Um, but if you ever do find yourself in the area, that 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 neighborhood is well worth a walk through to see what, you know, 1960s Japan would be like. Yeah, totally. So, 
uh, that's kind of Yokosuka, and we're going to leave leave Yokosuka there. We're, we're kind of thinking geographically this week, so we're moving a bit further north from um, Yokosuka up to Kamakura, which, you know, again, if those of you who don't know Japan too well, is has become increasingly a, a you know, massive tourist hotspot. And I suppose it's kind of the next best thing. If you're looking for a, a Kyoto-style experience of, of Buddha statues and temples and and uh, mountain walks and bamboo forests and that kind of thing, you know, it's probably uh, the next best thing. It's it's only about an hour or so from, from Tokyo by train. Gorgeous place, fairly spread out, surrounded by the mountains on one side. It's got the, the ocean on the other side. Um, you know, got the famous Daibutsu, the big, um, huge Buddha statue, which, again, big tourist draw. But of course, for us, uh, we were heading to, again, a bit like um, the places that we talked about in Chiba in particular, you know, tiny little place run by a man who's retired, put his retirement money into opening a cafe, very suburban neighborhood, you know, lives upstairs. And uh, this was Bird in Kamakura. Gorgeous little place, very simple, very new, uh, you know, aesthetically in terms of the photographs, not a, an amazing place necessarily to photograph, but again, just a beautiful place to stop uh, for a coffee and, and uh, listen to some music. Yeah, fantastic example of the, you know, retired jazz fan who opens up a cafe in his house or somewhere in his local neighborhood, um, never expecting any customers who probably don't live within a couple hundred meters of the place. So he was he was amused uh, when we came in, um, but was happy to talk with us, you know, happy to let us take the pictures. And uh, just, a, just the kind of place that you wish, you know, uh, would exist in other countries, because you, you could imagine opening a place like this, especially, you know, in America, where how are a lot bigger than Japan wouldn't be that hard to do um, and you know you kind of wonder like you know wow what is it about these guys that their dedication because he so easily could have eased into retirement with his record and CD collection and and just and just you know not had the bother of running a shop but decided to, to invest the money and you can see from the picture there he's got his elaborate coffee uh, you know brewing apparatus <laughs> that he was quite proud of um, and you know more technical terms there uh, yes very technical um, and uh, and then you know making it for for not just his friends that drop by but for people in the neighborhood who you know like we said before may not necessarily be jazz fans but like to come by for a chat and a coffee or, or even a drink um, you know he did have alcohol I, I do remember being a little bit um, uh, perplexed that he had bottles of Budweiser on, on the menu, but you know, what can you do? I mean, I would say it's these kind of places that probably are the single largest contributing factor to suppressing the divorce rate in Japan. I mean, <laughs> you know, these guys, they've been out of the, the, the house for years, then suddenly they're retired, they're at home all the time. And there's no doubt about it, I think, for some of them and for their partners, um, you know, these places are just a godsend because it, it kind of allows them to get out of each other's space. And I we've mean, even, imagine we've, if we've even had owners tell us that, haven't we? Oh, yeah. I mean, I mean, imagine if he was putting on that, you know, Verve, you know, anniversary jam session album at, at, at 
10 volume, you know, in his living room. And, you know, what his, what his wife would probably think if he did that day after day, just getting drunk. It's like, you know, yes, go make your own space, please, you know. Um, but for sure, it, it, it certainly does that. And, and, you know, we've seen so many examples of this. Unfortunately, a few of them have had to close for different reasons, which we'll get to when, when we have that special episode about places that have closed. But, um, yeah, there, there are, by last count, at least about 30 or 40 of these types of sort of cafes within a home um, are spread out all around Japan. So um, we're going to move from Kamakura a um, bit further north, and we're going to uh, we arrive in Yokohama actually, and we're going to focus on Yokohama for the rest of this episode and also next week because again, uh, really meaty subject. You know, a lot of great places, and and again, Yokohama I think is the second biggest city in Japan, but it, it's um, you know has this amazing history of one of the first places to open in Japan after the after the. Um, the long period of the show, uh, God, I've forgotten the Tokugawa Shogunate, you know, the samurai period, uh, Yokohama opened up. Um, it was a port city. And again, uh, looking at the cabin in Yokosuka, it reminded me there's a lot of bars around that port area in Yokohama where you see similar kind of memorabilia, you know, bit, bits and pieces from ships and, and lots of kind of nautical kind of stuff like that. And the first place that we're going to go to in Yokohama, which is just, again, one of those kind of mad afternoons that we had i know it's not too far from your house but again it's it's in a quite a suburban um street and of course if you're living in the apartments across from this place you're staring back at a huge blue neon sign that says bitches brew and you know i mean again in what other country would this be would this be possible well um, as, as you can see if you if you're looking at uh, tokyo jazz joints right now and you found the bitches brew uh page uh, not only does it say cafe and bar bitches brew but it says for hipsters only uh which is believe me not uh, ironic or sarcastic in the least. Japanese uh, culture in general is is not uh, you know self-referential that way. Uh, being ironic, he means it. <laughs> you know he means it. That his bar is for jazz hipsters only, and it was unbelievable. Um, so you mentioned the neighborhood. It's it's called uh, Hakuraku. It is only about a 15-20 minute walk from where I live in Yokohama. Um, Well-known neighborhood for its very very long covered shopping street in Japanese you call it Shotengai which is kind of the old main street culture of Japan where you had every single type of store you could imagine it's where everybody did their daily shopping at the butcher or the fishmonger or the liquor store etc etc it's one of the oldest and longest left uh, in Yokohama and Bitches Brew is just a tiny little walk down a, a side residential street from there. So um, as you can see from the last picture that you put up, Philip, and you mentioned it, I mean, look out the window and look how close <laughs> those houses are to, yeah. I mean, you know, that if you're sitting in your living room there and, and he's got a free jazz gig on, which he does in such a small room on a Sunday That's afternoon, right. I mean, you'll be getting a free performance. Probably not one that you wanted to hear unless you were one of us, um, but really an amazing spot. And what was even better was Sugita-san, the owner, was just uh, a real superstar. Um, now, we did not know this when we went there, okay? Um, Sugita-san has been a professional photographer uh, for more than 45 years. 
and had spent a lot of time in the United States at various jazz festivals and going to places, of course, spending a lot of time in New York, Philadelphia, uh, Chicago, Los Angeles, and published his pictures in every major Japanese jazz magazine uh, throughout the 70s and 80s. And back then, there were at least half a dozen major jazz magazines published here. Um, you can see in one of the pictures you got from, from one of his retrospective books, you know, um, some of the pictures that he took in the U.S., and he was particularly taken with Miles Davis because he got to see Miles Davis's electric band back when Pitcher's Brew was first released in 1970. So uh, I think he, I think he actually told us, didn't he, that that when he was photographing that, uh, it, I think it was the first time that Miles had played this stuff live. And yeah, I remember him talking about photographing it and just also looking at people's reactions. And you know, people were like, "What is this?" You know, like what. <laughs> What is happening? And I, I suppose that's probably uh, obviously the, the inspiration for the name of the place. I mean, just to clarify the hipster thing, I mean, obviously this sign is not a reference in any shape or form to the hipster as we uh, have come to know it in the last few years. Uh, having said that, you know, Sugida-san, definitely a hipster uh, by any <laughs> metric, I would say. And I think, you know, when we met him, I mean, the whole time that we talked to him, he had this coat hat and sunglasses on um, indoors. And, uh, you know, I think probably not in the greatest of health. In fact, I think he referenced that he had not been opening as much recently because um, his health hadn't been so good. But, you know, again, just this place, it's in a tiny, you know, uh, residential neighborhood of which there are, you know, thousands of, of similar places all across the city. And yet there is this repository of this incredible incredible jazz photography and you know if you look at the picture if you look at the pictures on the site which you definitely should on www.tokyojazzjoints.com you can see he's actually looking through a book and, and I'll post this on our social media but you can probably if you're lucky uh, hook around on the internet and find yourself a copy of it um, but it's an incredible book and if you heard a weird noise earlier it was me just flipping through some of the pages but you know just opening it up at any random page I mean he has um, pictures of Miles Davis, he's got Elvin Jones, uh, he's got, um, like, you name it, they're in there. You know, it's just an incredible uh, to think that this guy left Japan. I think he was only just in his early 20s. Uh, Pharaoh Sanders, he's got Archie Shep in here, Miles, Herbie Hancock, Charles Mingus, um, you know, Jay McShann, Mahalia Jackson, Milt Jackson. I mean, it just goes on and on. And he told us that when he left Japan, you know, people thought he was crazy. And then when you look at some of the photographs in this book, uh, particularly the ones that are not necessarily a performers, you'll see that he's in predominantly African-American neighborhoods and crowds. And I mean, he talked about it himself of how, you know, people, people in these neighborhoods just looked at him like he was like some sort of alien that had dropped out of the sky because, you know, he was this young, probably wiry Japanese guy with a camera. Well, especially considering that, you know, in those days, this is before the Japanese uh, bubble era, which we We've mentioned in the 80s when yeah. the economy took off so not that many japanese people were going over to the u.s and so you know this some random guy shows up in 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 harlem or watts or the south side of chicago or northeast dc at these jazz events taking pictures for for a japanese jazz magazine i mean imagine the reaction that would have got yeah and i mean he has these gorgeous photos framed I mean, you can see again um a, a version of um 
uh, it's not a version, sorry. You can see here there's a there's a photograph of Louis Armstrong. And I think he sort of, he kind of reeled his in with that one, if I remember, because he said, you know, uh, what do you think of that photo? And we're like, oh, yeah, Louis Armstrong, fantastic. You know, a great photo. He's like, I took that. And we were like, what? Uh, and then this sort of led into this whole conversation about the, the photography. And I'm fairly sure, like, we didn't, uh, certainly I didn't know, but you, you weren't aware of this before you went that day with me, were you? No, not at all. Not at all. I had been told by some people, uh, because I had been living in Yokohama at that point for a couple of years, and I'd been exploring some of the places, uh, you know, to go profile for, for, for my site, for the database, you know. Um, but I had not made it. It was on my list, obviously, especially because of the name Bitches Brew. I'm a huge Miles, Electric Miles fan. But I always, you know, it's one of those things, like a place that's close to your house. You kind of just feel like, okay, yeah, you know, I'll get there someday on a weekend. Yeah, afternoon. absolutely, yeah. And you just, you know, two, three years go by and you never make it so um so that was that was uh i was kicking myself you know after we left there to think that oh my god i could have been hanging out here every saturday night you know checking yeah. out the music he, again we've mentioned a few other podcasts but just as a side note you know again you can see that photograph of the sound system and louis armstrong looking down there on the on the top left but um you know very reminiscent once again of of how the sound systems are set up in these places uh, and again very similar to what you would see in in Japanese shrines and temples where there's the, you know the altar and then statues on either side so um gorgeous sound system once again and uh, i often wonder you know if if bitches brew is still if it's still well, going I'm, strong, I'm, I'm you know? going to. Um, the weather looks like it's going to be good this weekend, so I'm planning to take a walk. I can actually walk. It'll be about a half hour walk from my house, uh, but I will. Um, I will try to get out there and, and and take a look and see. And I, I think I do have uh, Sugita-san's number, so maybe I'll try and give him a ring. But you were right; his health was not the best. Um, and well, we the rumor was that he was a little bit heavy on the drinking, so. Um, that's that's a bit of a concern, you know. I mean, uh, imagine forty years on the road, the jazz lifestyle can't be good for the body. Um, now, mentioning one more thing, and I'm going to throw a throw an audible out at you here, Philip. This is not something we covered in our in our pre episode uh, production meeting. Um, Hakuraku used to be the site of another wonderful jazz joint that I was very lucky to go to three times. It's now closed, and it was called Hakuraku Ten by Ten. And uh, I will make sure to get you a really crappy looking photo that I took on my cell phone years ago so we can put it Please. up on our social media. But Hakuraku 10 by 10, which is right next to the station, was unbelievable because the owner there was one of the world's foremost collectors of Max Roach albums. She had over 350 Max Roach albums, which doesn't seem to make a lot of sense because <laughs> you know that he didn't record that many as a leader, but she was aiming to basically get a complete collection of everything that he let, recorded as a leader, but also that he was a, a, a sideman on from, from the very beginning of his career, including bootleg albums. She had such an insane collection that American um, collectors of Max Roach used to come to her bar offering to buy some of her albums, but she refused to sell any of them. So I remember going there for coffee two or three times um, after I moved to Yokohama 
And it was amazing because not only did she have all the albums, but she also had tons of pen and ink sketches up on the wall of various jazz artists, of course, including Max, but many other people as well. Absolutely wonderful place and a gorgeous lady. Very sadly, um, her husband became very ill. She had to close the shop and uh, basically sent all the records and everything else uh, to her kids who decided to sell it. And I only heard that story about a year after the place had closed because I hadn't been back. And um, I got to say, it almost broke my heart to think that, you know, these these kids who had no appreciation of all the work that this lady had put into to, to making this collection of Max Roach's works, you know, and they just sold it on. And, and that memory just came back to me now. <laughs> you know, it's amazing because we were thinking about Bitches Brew and I, I forgot to write it down in my notes earlier, but um, we'll make sure that I get up a, 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 a couple of the old crappy pictures that I do have of the place, um, but definitely RIP to Hakuraku 10 by 10 That was a very special joint. That's amazing. I, I, that's the first time I've heard that story. So, uh, you know, it turns out we do still have some secrets from each other, which is, I think, reassuring probably for me. But, you know, so you've got to keep things spicy, Philip. You know, I mean, you don't want to get predictable. <laughs> so, listen, uh, I think we'll maybe hit pause there for this week. And we're, we're in Yokohama and we're going to stay there, um, take a train, you know, 20 minutes north uh, down to the port area in particular, where there's a, there's a real wealth of fantastic places, you know, really deep uh, jazz joints, ones that we love, uh, some that are still going, some that aren't, unfortunately, uh, and we're going to cover those in the next episode. Um, thanks, as always, to Brian for, for giving us some assistance with the audio mixing and uh, obviously to Louis Elastic for the theme music. Thanks to you as well, James. Um, I hope uh, you have a good week. Uh, I believe lockdown is slowly easing where you are. We're heading into about day 60 of ours with uh, a little bit of light at the end of the tunnel, maybe as things start to kind of slightly reemerge from their, from Man, their shells. Believe but me, as soon as I can get on my, my house to a jazz bar or jazz cafe, you will be the first one that I send a picture to. That's a mixed blessing, though, because it's only going to make me more jealous. Anyway, listen, thanks for listening, everyone. Um, we'll be back with episode 11 next week. In the meantime, if you haven't listened to the previous episodes, uh, go back through. You can find them on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and YouTube. Uh, by all means, head over to the website as well, www.tokyojazzjoints.com, to see photographs of all the joints that we talk about. And, of course, follow us on social media, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And please uh, like our posts share our content uh, and get in touch we'd love to hear from you James until next week ciao see ya